0: That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Daniel Flynn, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Mark, thank you for having me. Pretty sure we have met before. Probably more likely in your early days, though, when you were uh, kicking this thing right off. Yeah? Yeah, that was a, a long time ago. So. Tell me a little bit about Daniel Flynn before the Thank You brand. So Thank You being the, well, the brand I know the best is the uh, hand wash. <laughs> but tell me yeah, a little bit about yeah, yeah. yourself before that. Um, and You're living up in Sunshine Coast these days, but where are you? You're from Melbourne originally.
2: Yeah. So I grew up in Melbourne. Um, and if we kind of track back before Thank You, which kicks off at 19, uh, at 18, I was all about property development. And I wanted to build, build, build big buildings, design beautiful homes. Um, I had locked onto property from about the age of 12. Um, my dad introduced me to a guy who was a property developer and I just, I got a fascination with it, followed him around a bit. And so, you know, that, that was where my mind was at. Um, prior to that, I was the kid running around the schoolyard selling you anything, um, gobstoppers or, Pet yabbies, which I feel a bit bad in reflection now, but I used to catch them at the lake, sell them to kids for like five bucks. And yeah, it was a good, it was a good little business. So, so that was me running around the schoolyard. I always had a fascination with money. Uh, and, and then here I was thinking it's all about property. And, and then yeah, life starts to change at, at 19.
1: Yeah, well, that, that's, that's pretty interesting. Like, uh, that sounded, as you said, entrepreneurial, but very commercially orientated. Uh, like property developments are a pretty hardline money-making uh, venture, or were you, mm-hmm. or is it more like uh, you were thinking about? I want to create a change in how properties present on a different form of housing. I mean, were you thinking about those things, or was it just like hardline commercial stuff? I got to make a buck.
2: It, Mark, it would sound good now if I said it was all about changing it, but it, it was literally it was about money. Um, I read I read a book when I was a um, seven or eight years old. I think it was called Rhinoceros Success or something. It was some business book that my dad had or, and I read it and, and it just, I I just locked onto this idea of like, um, wealth creation. And in fact, if you met me and this is, this is not a great reflection on me, but in the, in like primary school, I remember losing friends because I was, I had these like, Magazines where I was showing them that one day this is the house I'll have and the boat I'll had. Cause one of these books was talking about you gotta, um, have a picture of your dreams and you gotta circle it. And so I, I was like, that was me. I mean, I'd sponsored a child, um, uh, with a, a couple of friends, like we all chipped in in our teenage years and, and legitimately I thought, cool, I have ticked that box, right? I've done something good for the world and now it's time to make money and now it's time to build, you know, wealth and, um, you know, and then and then you you do good too later on. That's that's the plan at, at
1: eighteen. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty mature. Like I mean, I, at eighteen, I was tripped um, off to university and um, sort of still doing the study thing. Um, you know, I like really wasn't thinking about what I want to do post that period. And uh, I mean, I, my parents are pretty down to earth, basic sort of you know middle middle Australia type of thing. Was your dad like a... I mean, he introduced you to the property guy, but was your dad like a a dude? Was he uh, making money or was there something really motivational, inspirational from your dad or your mum, or your uncle or your grandparents? I mean, where'd that come from?
2: It's a good question. Look, I grew up in a family where my grandfather, who's now passed, uh, he was a big builder in country Victoria. And so I think building and property was sort of in the family line. My dad didn't follow suit. Um, uh, He got into the law, but um, I think my dad... you know, he's a believer in big dreams, um, whatever they look like. And so a big credit to him, um, that, that property guy I mentioned, um, I think dad mentored him through law school. And then this guy reached out and said, Hey, I'd love to, you know, um, mentor your son. And, and I, I think that was very formative in terms of me thinking different and thinking big. And then here's one, one more, uh, credit to my dad. When I was 15, I had to do work experience, Right, you have to do it at school, and my dad walked up. He was at a breakfast. He walked up to the speaker, and he said to the speaker, "I think my son one day may be like you. Could he do work experience with you?" And the speaker was like, "With me?" And this was, he was the CEO of Medibank Private. His name was George Savides, and 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 my dad said, "Yeah, with you." And he's like, well, "I'm not sure about that." And he ended up coming back and agreeing to it. And at 15, there I was sitting in my my first meeting, hearing someone talk in hundreds of millions of dollars. So, and they didn't blink when they when they talked in hundreds of millions. They just, this is just how they talked. And I sit back, going, man, I'm very grateful that some people opened a door. Some people let me see a little bit how the world works in some pretty young formative years. So by 18, yeah, my my trajectory was, I think, changed by those who who'd shown me a you know a few things.
1: Do you, do you th- that's interesting, Daniel. Do you think then, like, I mean, if, if just generally parents um, talking to kids, do you think one of the reasons perhaps that, say, someone like me, for example, wasn't thinking of this sort of stuff at that age is because it would have intimidated me because, I like, you know, talking about large amounts of money when I was that age age would have intimidated me. I've never heard of those large amounts of money. Um, I grew into it over many years. But you, on the other hand, were not intimidated by by big ideas. Um, you know, property developers are big ideas people. Um, the, the guy mm. you know, Savvides, you know, he's a, a big name in a big industry, you know, a massive industry. Mm. So, as a result of that, maybe your dad had sort of inadvertently, or maybe advertently, prepared his son Daniel for big ideas. In other words, go do something. But don't be intimidated by the big idea that is associated with it. I mean, do you think that you were prepared at a very young age for big ideas, circling boats, circling big houses, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. sorts of
2: things? Yeah, look, I, it's it's a, it's a very good question. I think, I mean, the answer is yes, in, in, in a sense. And I think, um, there was an, a good environment. And I, I, I don't know, often sort of go here because often people, Mark, they just want to go, cool, when did Thank You start and what did you build and the story? And I'm sure we'll get there, but digging back into the past is interesting. I actually, at one stage of my life, my parents joined Amway. It wasn't for long. It wasn't for long and they weren't very good at it. And so they kind of bailed out. So they got into Amway and then they, they got out. And, and so for a little bit there, I was an Amway kid. And if anyone knows any reference to that, there's books, there's tapes, there's DVDs. And I just got onto them. Like I, I just listen to him. I'd read him. I'm like, this is great. And I think when my, my dad told me that he's like, oh, they've quit. And I'm like, Dad, no, you can't quit. Never, 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 never give up because that's their their big slogan. And Dad's like, no. and I was I was crying and and so I and so I think I was exposed to ideas and it kind of ticked with how my mind worked and um you know, he, yeah, <laughs> I was on an interesting trajectory. I would say, um you know, before things started to really shift. Is there such
3: a
1: thing as an Amway kid or is that just your own sort of uh, nomenclature? Like, is that, I mean, when you say you're an Amway kid, it nearly yeah. sounds like it rolled off your tongue as if, as if there was such a thing. Um, an Amway yeah. kid being...
2: well, It's a good question. It did roll off my tongue. Um, I'm not sure if they'd brand it that way, um, but I, I've certainly bumped into a few um, kids or people over the years that grew up in Amway or their parents were in it. Or, and that they're sort of, you know, you, you have a lot in, in, in common. Um, and so I don't think it's an official thing, and you know I, I hear Amway's changed in many shapes and forms over the years. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely I mean there's some incredible
1: influence there. But did you read? So but are you saying as a as a kid um, you read the material, the Amway material?
2: Yeah, maybe not all of it, but like that book, "Rhinoceros Success," it was a pretty simple one, and um, it was it was just one of those titles I remember that I that I read and I found fascinating and. I can't say I applied at all. I probably didn't understand half of what was being said, but I think it felt interesting to read it. And you know, I was I was running these little businesses, a little car wash business at school, and try, trying to yeah, trying to figure out how to apply any of this to to my little world. Uh, the car washing thing didn't work out very well, All well, my friends slash employees quit. They didn't they didn't they didn't like my approach, and I, I was trying
3: so. What was it that,
1: like, similar to Amway, similar to the rhinoceros book, (laughs) similar to all the little startups you started? What was it that got you to start to think about um, social enterprise as opposed to, or, or maybe another way I can put it is using business to achieve a social enterprise? I mean, what was that period between eighteen and nineteen that changed you or formed? your Mm. views on what you should be doing what your purpose was
2: i mean this goes deep because as you can feel in this the trajectory i'm on you can kind of map it out and in my mind it is mapped out and in the back of my head i'm thinking man if you haven't made a million dollars by 21 you're a failure i read it somewhere it's not true but it it's absolutely not true but this is my mindset um and almost becoming an obsession and it was really interesting because the types of people you meet and you hear their stories on money and wealth and it's an interesting bubble. Yeah, at times, I think, I think it is a bubble. I have a moment at 19 and there's a few moments surrounding this, but one of them in particular where I'm watching, um, some stories online of, of kids who don't have access to clean water. Now I was meant to be doing my uni assignment. Um, I see an interesting little ad. I click in it. Now the statistics said 900 million people don't have access to clean water. And I thought, who, who, who checks that? That's a big, like, how do you even, who, You click into it and the next number shocked me more was four and a half thousand children dying every day from waterborne disease. And that that's a little easier to land in my mind, but still shocking. And then I watched stories of kids who didn't have access to clean water. And I probably was not someone who let myself go that far that often, but now I'm deep and I'm watching and I'm starting to feel it. And I remember feeling moved and I had this one moment where I literally have tears streaming down my face. And I'm crying because I'm thinking, that's that's shocking, but what if that was me? And I think right now we're probably all doing it with what's happening in the Middle East and, you know, the different conflicts around the world. We do ask ourselves, man, what, what is that? What if that was me? And and this is an important question, even though it's not my story. I did think, well, my sisters, Jess and Mel, would have died from the water that I collected them. And... That isn't my story, but that is that kid's story. And how how are we living in a world so developed? And by so developed, I mean like there's a lot of money going around. I I don't at 19 know everything about money, but I know there's a lot of it going around. How do we live in this world where this exists? And at the same time, you've got people dying because they don't have access to a basic human right. And so in me was this sense of this is so wrong and... I feel like the way my mind works, Mark, is if I see something, I find it really hard to un unsee it. And so seeing the world water crisis and knowing like, man, it's not that hard. Like there is so much money here in the system. And then I read another number, which was fascinating. It said um, that annually in 2008, we spend $50 billion on bottled water. And I was like, there you have it. World water crisis, bottled water industry. This is ridiculous. And the bit I couldn't unsee was imagine if, imagine if there was a brand of bottled water that took the money like from the 50 billion here and actually got it to people who need it. And that was for us the seed of the idea of thank you. Those who know our story, we, we started in bottled water and we've gone into hand wash and other things. But for me at 19, uh, it was, I was moved and I also felt this sense of justice and why, why doesn't this already exist, Mark? Why isn't there at scale these business ventures that, you know, funnel the money from the system to just remove these wrongs that should, I don't know about you, but I just feel like they
1: shouldn't exist. Especially at 18, 19, that's a, a big thought. I wonder whether or not Daniel Flynn's yeah, first emotion is curiosity about something that is sort of maybe unfair so your cu- curiosity when you're supposed to be studying took you down a funnel <laughs> which happens when we're studying mm-hmm. takes you to a you you get distracted by something and you go, oh that's interesting you're supposed to be doing your assignment you get distracted I mean, it happens to everybody i'm going to have a look at that and then it takes it and you say well that's interesting that part i'm going to go into the next level i'm going to keep you descending and you descended into learning about 900 million people um four and a half thousand children dying from unclean water um, or unclean water-related diseases, um, and then then your next uh, response is, what's the asymmetry that relates to um, com- commerce and selling water, bottles of water, and the fact that there are people who are dying because they just can't get enough water or the right amount of water? Um, that curiosity, that's a pretty powerful tool. Did you actually... And still to this very day, do you sort of hang off your own curiosity in order to come up with solutions about things that um, that maybe should be addressed? Because I many people are really curious about that that, that those types of things, especially at nineteen. Do you do you um, mm. put it down to your basic curiosity about stuff?
2: Look, it's a is definitely something I've discovered over time is more of a uh, more of a superpower than. Um, I probably thought it was at school because I think the way the teachers would describe it is Daniel's easily distracted. Yeah. And it was, um, very easily distracted. Um, but I I think curious is an interesting thing that over time, that is a great description of curious about ideas and also curious on how could you fix it or how could you solve it not like a small step, but like a big step. Like what, what would that look like? And, and so I think curiosity is, I think mean, it's a, it's a really cool insight. I think that's been part of it. And there's another overlay which happened in my teenage years, which I was on some, I was asking some pretty big questions that I, I think a lot of young people may not ask, but, um, I was on my own, I'd call it faith journey where I was asking questions like, why am i here what's the point what is this all about and so in the background overlaying business and entrepreneurship and all that is this quest on what's it all for and um What's, what's my part here? And I suppose a search for purpose. And, and so those two things are happening at the same time. And I think without that, I probably would have been moved and just been like, yeah, cool. I got to get on with what I got to get on with. But it was interesting having this, yes, curiosity. And then also these, these sort of really deep personal questions, which, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling out. And, you know, I grew up in a home where my parents went to church and, that was good for them and good for me, I suppose. But then in my teenage years, I wanted to just figure out for myself, hang on, what's really real? Um, uh, what's real to me? You know, what have I been told? But like, what, what does this look like for me? And, and so that was my, my quest. And, and so these two are, I, I would say pretty in, intrinsically linked you
3: were
1: like a system breaker though. Is that, is that Daniel Flynn? Because like obviously Daniel Flynn, it sounds like a very Irish Catholic name to me. Um, and you it, pro- it is, it, yeah. it literally and, is. Uh, and, yeah. it sounds like, you know, and, and you know, your dad's lawyer, mum's doing whatever she was doing at the time and, uh, you know, structures, church, you know, Sunday mass, you know, um, Easter, cr- Christmas periods, um, uh, confessions, you know, the Catholic religion, the Catholic schooling style is, um, you know, you you do reconciliation, then you do your first communion. There's a whole, it's a very structured environment, which, which actually is a good thing. Um, but structures um, need to be questioned um, and uh, particularly by curious people. Um, are you a, and structures relate to systems, systems that have worked for a long time. Mm-hmm. Are you a perennial system breaker?
2: I've, I've never described myself as that, but I think when I look back over the history of, certainly, thank you, this is the the, the common thread in it. It is about not just turning up in a system, but trying to reimagine or, or disrupt it or, or break it, or, or maybe just get it working
3: better.
1: I love that word reimagine. You can reimagine something, which is probably what you did even in your early years. You reimagine something in order to make it better and, but in order to make it better, you've got to break it. Um, a lot of times you've got to break it. And you've got to be prepared to break it. And pre- being prepared to break something, um, to be frank with you, is, um, can be quite intimidating. You know, you've got to be able to think big, but you can't be intimidated by big um, can't be intimidated by the big ideas or the the big outcomes, the big changes. And maybe that's the sort of thing your dad prepared you for by introducing you to property developers, et cetera. Um and and maybe by reading that book as well. So that that's very interesting. So reimagination, I'm gonna love that. I really love that. That's uh that's the cool thing, reimagining something and therefore and then aligning that to your purpose. I reimagine that You know things Mm. can be better for water with kids, a basic Mm. human need. I reimagine a way it can be done. Then, but in order to do it, I've got to break a system. In terms of breaking the system, I'm not going to be intimidated, and I'm going to go about it. I've got you now at 19 years of age. First thing, what happened? How did thank you? How was it born?
2: (laughs) So, the the first uh, the first moment I think was post the wrestle on those two extremes of really poverty and consumerism. The idea was, well, a, build a bridge, build a bridge between the two. Like, a, you know, a product is a great bridge because we all consume them. And um, and so this idea started as what if, and bottled water was actually our first product, right? And it seemed like a really interesting one because I think bottled water is the most ridiculous product on the planet and it shouldn't exist, but totally. it does. And I think it's, Bottled water is t- today it's grown to 350 billion, right? So we, we keep buying it. We all say we don't, but we do. Um, it, it, it's a mirror to society and the reflections are, are a bit ugly. This is consumerism sort of at its worst, I suppose. And so the thought was, let's launch a brand of water and give all the profit to funding water projects. And it would be a great product to teach people this. This is a new way forward. And then. We imagined ah oh, one day thank you could be and insert any product or service you could ever think of that's where our nineteen year old minds were going um, and dreaming, but we also knew well you've got to start somewhere and and so we started with water and what did we do next? We google how to start a bottled water company and it says you need a bottle in a factory and so we um, confidently naively, however you put it, but we just started emailing factories and we thought well let's get meetings and just figure this thing out. Um, uh and and when I say we, so my I'd been dating uh, my girlfriend for one month, uh Justine, and her story is amazing because from the age of 14, she'd traveled to Indonesia. She'd seen extreme poverty firsthand. Uh, she did it with her school. She did a couple of trips and it really moved her and she wanted to grow up and help fix that. And she also loved business. So at school, she won the business competitions. She was all about it. And so f- for her, when I was telling her, This is my wrestle. She's like, this is incredible using business for good. And she, she's like, I'm in. And, um, and so when we started, thank you, literally we've been dating for a month. Um, my best mate, Jared, he, um, you know, we'd known each other since we're five years old. He was in a few others said, yep, we'll help. And so we was a little motley crew of friends going, let's, let's cook up a plan and see what we can achieve here. And it led to some pretty fascinating meetings and, you know, the curiosity led us on. It started off with the
1: water, I remember that, and then it went Mm -hmm. on to the hand wash, et cetera, and you end up having a whole lot Mm -hmm. of, a lot of different skews over time. Do you remember sitting down with anybody and working out what the finances of something like this looks like? In other words, a bottle of water is gonna cost me blah. Um, I can Mm -hmm. sell it for another blah plus something or other, hopefully, but the margin. Um and then the, that amount of we're all gonna take a little bit of money, we might have to pay a bit of rent, whatever you had a few costs. Um and somehow we then we're gonna get that money to where it needs where it's gonna help the most. Did you map that out?
2: not, not in, initially. Um you know, I was I, but but we did over time. Like we I suppose we had the back of the envelope. You know, uh, the water sales were three or $4. So we're like, Oh, you must be able to make $2. <laughs> and then we, we learned about retail and how it really works and how few cents you make. So, so through the different meetings and meeting people, we were starting to map out what does this thing cost? What can you really sell it for wholesale? And the margin that's left for brands is actually really small. And so then we started talking to a few people about like costs. And, and so we got there. I wouldn't say we started there, but we we fumbled that little plan together. And the part where the plan fell apart wasn't, I suppose, the P&L. Uh, it was, where do we get the funding, right? Like, because you, you actually need money up front to buy your bottles, buy your stock, and then you go and sell it. And and to get funding, you either have the money yourself or you get some investment. And I'd locked into this idea that, no, there's no investors. Um, I don't get equity no co-founders get equity. There are no investors. This isn't just going to smell a little bit different in the system. This is going to fundamentally look different and it has to. And, and, and that idea sounds cool because it means you can make a commitment to consumers that ex- that this exists all for that. But the challenge was I'd sit with people, business people, and they're like, well, yeah, it's a cool ambition, but you need investment. You need the money. You need this. And, um, you know, maybe to, to, to the credit of an early book, and I can't remember which one, but I'd read this line. You've probably heard it. Mark, it says, if the idea is good enough, the money will always come. And so I felt like, you no, know, this idea is good enough. And I don't know how it's coming, but it, it's, it's got to come. And, and we found ourselves presenting to a factory and we shared the vision and we said, look, if we can sell this, would you, would you be up for covering the, the costs of this? And, and and the factory manager was kind of cool. He's like, look, I love the vision. And if you could sell it, you know, and get some big volume, yeah. I I could cover your cost of goods, I could cover your 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 up fronts, maybe you pay for the labels. I'm like, okay, cool, because that 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 was probably ten grand, but it wasn't it wasn't the hundreds of thousands that you need. And and so that little almost pre-commitment from him was cool. Then we boldly pitched to the biggest distributor in Australia and to our shock in that meeting land an order for fifty thousand units. Wow. And that was a, that was a wild moment actually, because I did. Well, I hoped we'd get something, but it, you know, our intel was this guy is not going to take it. Um, start small, get a small distributor one day. This, this guy might be interested, but it, in me it was this like, well, no, we're here to change the, the system and this has got to be at scale. And it was interesting because he, he, he took it and he was like, I'll take 50,000 bottles. And it was that sort of bold statement. That actually pulled the whole thing together without much money because now we've got sales and um, we got some pretty favorable terms on the on it and and um, yeah from from day one we 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 set this thing up cash flow positive um, uh, simply by telling the factory that we had to have thirty seven days trading terms. And and usually it's 30, but we said, thank you, it's got to be 37. And that's so we had seven days to collect our money to pay the factory. And we ran that model for about six years.
0: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns.
1: I'm back from the break and I'm here with Daniel Flynn, um, one of the founders of uh, a, a brand of um, a whole lot of SKUs, a whole lot of product lines, but one I'm familiar with, probably the water, but more importantly, probably the hand wash, which is the thank you brand. Um, and uh, we are just been going through his story about how it all kicked off in the beginning. Um, and sure, he's come up with some big ideas. He got some people on board, obviously pitched them really well, um, that is um, both Buyers of his first line of water and uh, or pre pre let's uh, call pre commitment people, but also got someone to commit on the manufacturing side, so he didn't have to bridge the gap in terms of raising money, which would have been hard to raise money for something like because it's not for profit, or um, well, it is for profit, but the profits going not to investors is going go to go to 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 social causes and or charitable causes. What were the challenges that you got you got confronted with? Because these things have a habit of growing really quickly or dying off altogether. And if it grows really quickly, then you have all the growth problems. What sort of growth problems did you experience?
2: Literally from the moment that 50,000 bottles went out to the distributor, um, our problems began. So there was a actually a labeling issue. Um, and so our launch of those bottles became a recall. It took about three months. It was a false start. We relaunched and then... Um, about a year in, we had, we had 350 cafes stocking the product, which was cool, but not where we wanted the, the whole idea to be. And then our factory stopped supplying product for five weeks and we lost 300 of our 350 customers. Wow. And so that was a really, really tough moment. Everything crashed and we stuck at it because two retailers were looking at us and we thought, if one say yes at all, it, this idea will work. So we got a new factory a new distribution company in Sydney where you are and uh, our launch with them was huge. Um in fact they said you'd be in 2000 stores month 1 minimum. But then they went into administration Whoa. in our launch. And then the two retailers came back saying no and then they both came out with their own bottle of water that went to funding water projects. And if that's all not hard enough in the background there was this one big deal and it was the one of the biggest supermarkets in the country, and we don't name them, but um, it was in the background, right? Because it went from initially, they said, we love your passion and we love your idea, but you're up against brands who are investing six to $10 million in a launch and you don't have that. And we said, we have an idea and we have a, a movement of people behind it. And it, initially it was, it was sort of good luck with this, but it was starting to shift in the conversation. So in the background, it was starting, we we're getting interest and maybe there's potential and... Fast forward to three years, three years of how three years of setbacks and knockbacks and the whole thing not working. They finally say, yes, congratulations. You're in national range every store. And so for me, this is the pinnacle. Like we've, we've made it. We've gone through the sort of the valley. And then a long story short, um, as we were producing product, waiting for order delivery date and delivery size, um, a new person takes over the category. Renegs on the commitment we had. And I never forget the phone call because I'm, I'm saying that no, we have a national ranging commitment. He's like, you do. It just doesn't stand. It's with the old category manager. And we've taken this in a different direction. And he said he had his, the big brands and his own brand. And we protested and it didn't go anywhere. And it, thank you. We're used to this today. This is quite an, uh, it happens. This is the first time. And I remember three years in just feeling crushed because this idea was meant to change the world. It was meant to help people. And it feels like, yeah, it's too hard. What do you do? What's your mindset? Do you
1: uh, sort of lean on your your girlfriend at the time? I don't know if she's still involved, your, your best mate from school. I mean, how do you sort of maintain your position? How do you build a mindset to get through
3: that
2: sort of crap? It's cool you mentioned them because uh, J- Justine and I, we're now married um, and, and have walked this journey for over 15 years. And it's it's been beautiful. But at the time, right, then there were days when um as co-founders, right? So I wanted to quit. But, you know, Justin was saying, no. Why did we get into this? And you know, we could do it. And the days that Jared or or she wanted to quit. And luckily that, you know, the three of us didn't want to quit on the same day or we'd be in trouble. <laughs> so I'd say there was this sort of human fumbling kind of um, I mean, her and I have sent resignation letters to each other. It's beautiful. It's about like that we walk each other back from the edge of the cliff, but it's, it's, I think to walk any entrepreneurial journey alone, I can't imagine it. And I think it's impossible. And I think it's those around us from, I would say great friends and, you know, business partners, but then also, uh, mentors. It's interesting in those first three years was this one mentor I caught up with and I was giving him the sob story. This happened, and then that, and now this, and I'm like, you know, it's just too hard. And his advice shocked me to my core. He said, "Daniel, toughen up. This is business." And I, I was just like, "This guy's a monster. Like, I've got the wrong mentor." But he was a hard-nosed commercial guy, and he's like, "Welcome to the world. Like, like you think you're because of your mission, you don't have to live through the real reality of business." And like toughen up and, and I, I didn't like the advice but actually the more I thought about it over time it was some of the best advice because some people were there to nurture me and say I believe in you some people were like hey welcome to reality get up and go again and, and you know this better than most behind the microphone and the stage and the books and the the entrepreneurship sort of platform is a lot of um a lot of no's and a lot of setbacks and a lot of knockbacks so yeah that that played into it
1: I mean I often think to myself it's the mindset is a matter of just embracing the drama. So, okay, well, this is all part of the journey. I mean, it sounds a bit cliche, but if I concentrate too much on how tough it is, it will be tough or be tougher. Whereas if I think, oh, well, no, this is just natural, like like your mentor told you, this is natural, this is going to happen, this is the real world, shit happens, yeah. um, you're not dead, yeah. uh, can kick it on. and uh, But it's still not easy, so... Um, would you put down to like today? If you looked at it today, maybe you wouldn't do it. If you would, you put it down to naivety and youthfulness at the time. And or, by, by the way, that impo- par- partnership thing is really important. I agree with you. That is critical yeah. having a partner yeah. We you can both have a winch to each other, or three of you can have a winch to each other. It's just good to have a winch, um, and the other par- person winches with you, and you have a winch together. But but equally, it sort of that somehow gets it off your chest and allows you to sort of keep going anyway. And as you said, mm-hmm. Lee, like sometimes you'll rev her up, your, your now wife or your other old mate from school, he'll rev you up or everybody, like you said, mm-hmm. no one resigned all at once. Maybe if you all resigned at once, you'd have a laugh too. It's actually a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, so those two okay. things, naivety and youthfulness, or three things, and naivety and youthfulness is mm-hmm. one, um, having business partners or people on a joint mission with you is really important. And I think the third one is just, Accepting that shit happens and uh, hmm. that's this is normal. This is what happens in business, it's not always a cakewalk. Did you ever sort of put those three things together and sort of sit down and um, um, actually purposefully? Adjudicate around those three things because I always do it now. These days, I didn't do it when I was younger, but these days Mm. I do do it. Those three things. I always have a business Mm. partner, always. Um, Naivety is an important thing. You've got to maintain naivety. Don't overthink shit. And then finally, Mm. um, you know, like uh, accepting. Drama happens. Like right now, interest rates Mm. are high. My Mm -hmm. market, the mortgage market is down for all the obvious reasons because interest rates are high. Um, But I also know it'll turn around because it always does i only know that now because i've done it so many times but that's my mindset just get on with mark you know cut your costs cut your costs yeah and i know you've done this you've gone back and reimagined your whole business could you take me through that part and how would you go about doing
2: that and what was your mindset there so look i think i think on top of the three things you mentioned there's a fourth thing which is this idea of purpose and i'm It's threaded through our story but that was another addition to this little cocktail i suppose that we're talking about here it it, it, knowing why you're doing something and for it being more than just yourself i think is really important and that that helped it's not enough on its own it's like you need a bit of everything um the reimagining of thank you was big and it was hard and it 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 looked to the public like a little you know social media campaign but it was about Three and a half, four years of work behind the scenes, and um, credit to I think Simon Sinek's work around the Infinite Game. Uh, early on, it thank you. It you know in my mind I was like, win or lose, David versus Goliath. I think the Infinite Game kind of mindset is um, it shifts your thinking. And for us, at thank you. This is in in essence an infinite game. And if we get knocked down and we get knocked back, and we have to reimagine or or redesign, we'll do it. Because we're not stopping because this mission that we exist for it deserves it and we're going to find a way. And so the reimagining a thank you, it was, uh, off the back of our darkest valley 2018, 2019, a little bit of 2017. And to give you context of the valley, um, valleys are there because of, you know, peaks and the peak before the valley was I was sitting down for an interview. Um, in Chicago, it was a 23 minute interview. And the interviewer was, uh, President Obama. <laughs> and it, wow. It was a, it was wild. It was wild. Like I, I did, I don't know how, you know, how I got there and all of that. It, it was ridiculous, but he is asking all these questions at this big summit about thank you. And, um, and, and he's asking questions like, Daniel, uh, markets are global now. So how are you thinking about global expansion? and? I'm like, oh, Pre- President Obama, well, we're we're about to launch into New Zealand and, you know, then after that, we'll bring it further. And it, behind that answer was an interesting amount of pain because Thank You had, in many cases, succeeded. We'd raised, a, you know, over $7 million profit and given it. We had, you know, over 40 SKUs, hand wash, body wash, sanitizers, a whole bunch of stuff in Coles and Woolworths and Kemwe House. So we'd really broken through. We'd really kind of achieved greatness. Our hand wash was the number one hand wash in the whole category. We had some of the highest loyalty. And so the Obama interview sums up to me kind of the the summit, because in my mind, we're going to go even higher. Now this idea is going to go to the world. And I had a chance to speak in Japan in this room of 65 people. And of the 65 people, 60 of them led the biggest retailers in the world. So, this was CEOs or C-suite. Each day, 2.1 billion consumers went through their stores. And at the end of the 45-minute presentation, they're coming up. Different groups are saying, we want you in Sweden. We want you in this country. We want you in Europe. We want you in Asia. And I'm like, yes, we're coming to the world. But the valley was, in 2018 and 19 we begin to experience a new phenomenon at Thank You, which is the pressure of more and more competition. Thank You used to sneak its way like a little kid into uh, a, a store. We, we, we snuck our way into categories. But now when Thank You turns up, because we get loyalty in shelf space, big brands are ready. Everyone's ready. And in, in 18 and 19, we experienced that. Um, the launch of our nappies, uh, we launched and got 10% market share, which was incredible in the first three months. But then the biggest brand went from 17 weeks a year on promotion to 33 weeks. And so that price promo and the rest of the category followed that crushed our nappy business. Our New Zealand launch mirrored the same thing. Incredible growth, massive crushing. And on the inside, we were, we were burning out because we were trying to be a, a, a nappy business, a New Zealand business, Australian water, personal care. And we, we'd spread ourselves so thin. And so the reimagining was. This idea can't go to the world because it's not sustainable. Sure, we could launch, but this crushing phenomenon, if we don't figure out our way through that, I mean, we're just scaling an idea that will ultimately fail and the mission doesn't deserve that. And so we spent some time in 18, 19 and 20, um, reimagining on the inside and we restructured. How we approach new categories and countries and a very long story short, we went from an in-house model. So at the time we, at the time we had 60 full-time staff, 60 going on 90 for Australia and we'd mapped out hundreds for Europe and US, but we did everything ourselves in-house. The redesign was what if we just focused on the bit that only we can do and we identified what that was. And it's actually quite small. What if we outsourced and what if we kind of looked at p- Highly integrated partners who could carry, you know, different elements of our e-com business or supply chain or even managing our retail customers. We do that ourselves, but there's a heap of companies that could do that. And in-house creative, what if we highly integrated with creative agencies? We've always said, no, we're special. But ultimately, we, we mapped out a new path forward. Um, innovation what if we partnered with different innovation houses one that was specific to one category another to another so they woke up every day thinking about that category instead of us split between everything and we mapped out this this new engine i suppose we called it engine 2 and market was cool because i was like oh this could get to global scale this could this could work and obviously then the next job was finding partners to do the work aligning with them, and then doing the bit that only we can do, which we've identified as a couple of things. Obviously, coming up with a plan and strategy, giving the money, that's really critical and we've been really good at that over the years, $18.1 million distributed to date. But then ideation, brand curation, and storytelling, that's where a lot of our magic happens. It's spotting gaps, it's challenging, it's being curious and I suppose naive and a bit disruptive. And so, we've now applied that little bit of thank you juice to the cleaning category. To the deodorant category, back into hand wash, which is our heartland, and what sits on the market right now in Australia and all of retail and online is our reimagined products. But what's behind it is a reimagined business model, and what that's allowing us to do right now is uh, expand in Asia. Uh, after that, Europe, Middle East, and, and 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 the U.S. and it's also allowing us to expand into new categories. And I'll finish on this, but. When we turn up in each category now, one of the filters we've applied inside Thank You is the word reimagine. So we're in deodorant not because Thank You can make a deodorant, but we're in deodorant because we've reimagined it thanks to Gilles. He runs this incredible innovation house in in France. Some of his innovation is sold for hundreds of millions of euro to big companies, but he has joined us and he's given us what he describes as his life's best work. It's a 48-hour antiperspirant deodorant that's 100% natural. So Jill's bringing that to thank you. We're packaging it up, branding it, it's on market. It's an incredible product. It is literally reimagining for the category and this is our future. Finding great people, finding great partners, putting it together and um you know, growing that 18.1 million dollars raised to hopefully one day much more. So just so I can understand this, so um, are you
1: saying to me that you guys are really good at branding and perhaps the, you know, the delivery piece, but what someone else, maybe not even that, but what somebody else is doing is they're effectively allowing you to, they're giving you a white label in terms of their product. You are attaching your label to it. Is that what you're doing? As opposed to trying to invent it yourselves.
2: Yeah. Look, it's, it's a little bit of both, right? Cause straight white labeling, um, in our view doesn't work. We've tried it in the past with, we launched rolled oats, white label, but there were thank you oats and it didn't work. So for us, we're looking for innovation. And I would say right now for innovators on the planet, there are three options. Option one, if you have an incredible breakthrough innovation, you can make your own brand. That's a long road or you can sell it to a big company, um, sell your innovation, sell your IP. And now there's a third option, come to thank you. Uh, it may not make you the most money of the first two options, but it will make you some money and the biggest contribution, I think, to humanity. And so we set up either license agreements or some form of, um, you know, manufacturing and distribution agreement where that product will feed into the thank you brand and exclusively we sell and market that to consumers. We make our margin as a brand, and, and that margin's incredible. I mean, it, in fact, this new model's working out to be a higher margin than the old model where we did everything ourselves in-house. And, you know, we were okay, but um, not as remarkable as I think you need to be to win at global scale. So it's essentially, that's the idea from an innovation perspective. And then from a channel perspective, I mean, we used to run our own e-com store. That's a lot of work. It's hard. We now partner with a group called Pattern. They've got 33 country offices. Their team are like 1100 people and every single day they wake up and run direct to consumer brands for some of the biggest brands in the world. So they do everything. And so now thank It's our website. It's our product, but our partner at Patton, they run everything. And I jumped on a call last night with them yesterday. We had our largest day, uh, ever. It was, it was more in one day than, than our highest week and they're pumped and they're really good at this and our margins are better than when we ran it in-house ourselves but it's 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 been an element of letting go an element of redesigning and um yeah i think this all this is part of what we need to move
1: forward when and probably even now today um is there a well, how do you keep level and what i mean by that is when all the opportunities present themselves and you can do good and you go to the, one of these summits and, um, you know, all the big retailers who are there in Japan say, we want to stock your product. And can you get really carried away with these things and uh, sort of forget the main game and lose track of your original mission and uh, well, where you should put most of your weight is in relation to your original mission. And you start to put most of your weight in, oh, how can we take advantage of all these opportunities? In other words, overexcitement. Mm-hmm. Is, is that mm-hmm. something that you experienced? Um, I know I have. Um, and sometimes I forget that I'm just trying to get people into homes and I get to be carried away with all the opportunities mm. that present themselves and I have to give myself a bit of an uppercut and say, hang on, just pull back here a bit, Mark, and uh, just go back to your original mission.
2: Yeah, and it's funny, in the early days, you're you're cr- crying out for an opportunity, right? You just want a break. And then some interesting things happen when you get a bit of scale and momentum and, and, and reputation is opportunities start coming to you. And that's really hard because you're like, oh, each of them are dreams. I mean, th- this is this is huge. This is phenomenal. This is, you know, and and so then how you filter them, we've absolutely tripped over in this. And we tripped over thinking it was on mission. Because the more scale, the more profit, the more impact. Um, but anyone in business knows scale doesn't necessarily mean more profit. It could end you. It could and so I think over time, Mark, we've been able to, with the help of great mentors and you know, different team members start applying some harder filters so that even the best opportunity. And there was a ripper. I mean, there's been a couple, there's been a couple of golden ticket opportunities that absolute golden tickets. Um, however, when we applied them through our filter, it's like, it's not right. And we've learned over time to stick to that. And it's, it's, you don't, you don't know. You just, you, your best bet. Your best guess is it's not right, um, but, but I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad for that process and it comes from a lot of pain where we overcommitted and nearly killed
3: ourselves
1: in the process. So does that mean you sort of build it, have a built-in filtration process? Um, I mean, how often do you and your, your – obviously your wife is your partner but also your other partner yeah. – how often do you, you guys meet as a team and sort of just go back through the basics and, and, and opportunities? Like is this one we shouldn't pursue or – I mean, and how do you prioritise?
2: Yeah. Cause that's hardly prioritizing this is an ongoing wrestle um and we've you know we now have a, a, a you know board of directors and a management team and you know there's lots of different inputs and insights and then you've got advisors outside of that um i think a big part of my role mark and thank you is um you know if it's a new idea it it's sort of leading that new idea and so in that space i think i feel a great weight and responsibility on is the idea right and is the timing right and so, you know, um, old me was like, I love it. Let's go. That doesn't work. That's how you wreck everything. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm grateful we, we haven't quite got there, although we got pretty close. So, so now it is the ongoing conversation. So every idea has a fair bit of pressure on it. Um, before it gets through, um, before we spend time and money on it. Um, or pursue it and there's a whole bunch of ideas we're working on now i can tell you i'm excited about all of them but i also know they're probably not all right now and some might be wrong and and so rather than announce them on a podcast like oh well, it is the new thing we're working on it's like "No, there's a long road there's a long road and if we get there maybe one day we get to talk to mark and say hey yeah this is what we we're thinking and then you say oh, that, okay you thought that through well because an idea isn't, I mean, you know, you've heard this. In fact, I remember Janine Alice's wall at um, Retail Zoo there, Boost Juice. It says, um, an idea isn't worth much. Its value is found in its execution. And that's the truth. I remember seeing that once. I was like, that hurts. It hurts when you just want to pitch ideas all day long, but it's the truth. So your filters are picking what idea is right and the timing, but your filters also help you on the execution as you get older, you
3: can
1: be um, criticised for playing defensively because you – and I don't see it as being defensive. I mean, when you're younger and when you're kicking off, you just got to do everything. you got to try everything. I mean, have a crack sort of thing because if you if you said they're overanalyzing, you won't end up doing anything. Um, but as you get older and you're – well, as the business gets older, as the thing you're doing gets older and it sort of builds a bit of intensity, gets more mature, has a bit more depth and breadth um, – Every new idea then looks like it, it can look to other people that you are sort of overanalyzing it or being a bit too defensive around it. And someone might say to you, well, you would never thought about this five years ago. You would have, you, you would have just gone and done it. I, I've often found it difficult to reconcile those, those two thought processes. Um, you're a young guy, relatively speaking, um, to me that is. And... Uh, How do you reconcile that? I mean, how do you sit down now and say, well, there's five new ideas. They all look great. Five years ago, I would have done all Mm. of them. But today, I'm going to to approach it this way. How how do you approach those five new gun ideas, especially for Mm. young Mm. people feeding a new idea up to Mm. you? And you don't want to kill their enthusiasm either.
2: Mm. I mean, I resonate with you on this feeling of, it's like an anguish or a wrestle because it's the entrepreneurial curiosity, naive, give it a go that has built so much of what we have and we need to keep that, right? We need to somehow not kill that and I can tell you, thank you, there was a business life cycle that we went through where we were growing up and we brought in a lot of scale and a lot of systems and a lot of processes and a lot of analysis and we killed that and I'm grateful we've got it back. But then there's also this, um, you know, there's that, cliche saying with great power comes great responsibility. And so I think the more scale you have or reputation or means, um, or momentum, you know, that comes with a great responsibility because you take a big step now. And if, if you bet the house and bet it wrong, yeah, you could lose everything. And, and, and the onflow of that, um, may be completely off mission for you. So I think the, the tension, and in my mind, say these five new ideas, the tension is between not losing what's built us and having courage to go again and again. And when that's squashed, you insert case studies like Kodak, you know, you, you insert these amazing companies that like had the scale and then they just, they killed that and then they, they died. Um, but then at the other side, it's this, you know, sense of responsibility and stewardship. You know, And so I would say we're a bit slower now, and it's a good thing. And the, the fine line is to not be too slow. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've got to be pretty careful at the same time. So I, I have – this is this is my number one wrestle mark, I would say. In-
3: same
1: here. It totally is with me. What's your proudest moment? I mean, you've been at this for a long time now. Uh, what's your proudest outcome from what you've been doing over these many, many
2: years? There's a few, but – There was a moment where the two supermarkets, Coles and Woolworths, had said no to us for five years. and We ran this wild campaign called the Coles and Woolworths campaign and it was a public petition. We asked our supporters to jump onto their Facebook wall and say, Coles and Woolworths, if you stock thank you products, I'd buy it. And we'd booked a meeting two weeks after the launch of this video. And so it was a very public thing and I was nervous. Like, will anyone post? Will they get behind it? But we saw thousands of people, posting some sung dance wrapped upload and and it was so moving watching people we'd never met get behind this brand these two helicopter pilots they flew for free these helicopters these giant signs there's a a giant sign in melbourne said dear coles thank you for changing the world in brackets if you say yes and so that flew over melbourne and around their head office for half an hour and you know woollies in sydney got one too and i was so blown away with that campaign the power of people Coles and Woolies both said yes. Product hits the shelf. It takes off. And about a month later, two months after, we were in um, overseas visiting one of our projects. And I uh, got to do a walk with uh, someone who, who didn't have clean water beforehand. And now they do. And it's a simple story. But man, was it hot that day. And man, was the water disgusting that they used to drink. And this boy, Vianney, just... We spoke to a translator, but like his life and his story and now the change in his story because of this. And to me, that is one of the moments that sums up thank you. It's people power, it's systems change. And ultimately, it equals real change for people who, who have dreams too. Vienni's got dreams, you know, big dreams and he needs a shot at him.
1: Wow. That's pretty amazing though. Um I was just thinking as you were speaking then, or have you considered it even inviting any of these particular individuals who you may have helped where you can identify them coming to Australia and working for. Thank you.
2: It's a cool thought, man. Uh, uh, not, not yet. No, but that's a, that's a cool thought. And, it'd be pretty and, cool. Um, it would be cool. And, and you know what? Um, it'd be interesting, not that this has happened directly, Mark, but we work like we've funded in the last three years, 18 different project partners around the world. And, um, You know, often when I get to hear stories, um, these are locally led organizations, but you often hear stories of people who grew up in extreme poverty and now they're working to end it. They've got out of it for themselves and now they're committing their life to helping end it for other people. And I I hear their stories and I'm like, man, well, we're going to keep going because you're going and we're here to fund you. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool circle.
1: And uh, one final thing for question or more, yeah, sort of a commentary. Like I remember when I was a school, I went to Catholic school too. And um, I remember when I was a kid, a lot of the teachers that taught us um, talked to us about the concept of being a missionary, Um, you know, like going and working in another country, Mm -hmm. Africa or Asia in those days, Fiji, the Colombo plan. Um, And to some extent, I see you as a bit of a missionary, um, in that you are looking after people who are less, you've got a whole big enterprise going, I get that bit, but you are looking after people who are less fortunate than you and I and everyone else here in Australia for that matter. And it nearly is going back to your roots, back to your schooling and your, it's not religious as such, but it is taking the fundamentals out of what would have been Christianity I suppose. And one of those fundamentals is, mm. fundamentals is you call a social enterprise, but it's just being a missionary. You're on a mission. You're looking after people mm. who need looking after. you ever thought of yourself like that? Mm.
2: Uh, look, I, 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 I don't, uh, but it's, it's an interesting observation. And I, I've i studied a lot of leaders, you know? I'm, you know. I studied, like, read books and read stuff about them. And I think it's fascinating um, the, the life of, of Jesus, who's central to the whole Christian faith, but his whole thing was around loving others. And it, it, the more you dive into his story, it's radical. This love for others and this unconditional love. And, and I, I often look at that and I'm like, I think if more leaders lived like that these days, the world wouldn't, there wouldn't be as many wars. Uh, absolutely. And, and it actually would look radically different. And, and so I think for me, thank you is this cool expression of, yeah, this is about like love and doing good for others. And I get to do that. And so, yeah, I, I do, Mark. I, I, I see this as almost, uh, I've never described it as, you know, Daniel with a missionary, but um, I, what an honor that would be because anyone who knows anyone who's done that, people give their life literally for others. And it's it's something we can all aspire to.
1: Well, I do see you that way, Daniel. I, I see yourself as being on a mission and, um, and um, relentlessly and your partner's as such and um, and I see the whole thank you brand as being on a mission which is why I think why it's so successful because we all want to get on a mission but none, of, not many of us are actually prepared to be all in like you are and uh, one of the ways we participate we will buy a product and I would say to all Australians and everyone who's listening to this because we got people listening to this all around the world buy thank you products and a story and help Daniel Flynn and his partners on their mission thanks mate Thank you, Mark.